Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra. Hello and welcome to Line Noise once again. Uh, today I am proud to present an interview uh, with a giant of electronic music, Jez Varley, uh, who was a member of the seminal Bleep Techno duo LFO, uh, and he later went on to make music as G-Man, uh, including the huge, huge tune Quo Vadis. Uh, we talked about breakdancing, we talked about LFO, of course, um, how the band got a record deal in a club car park, uh, we talked about musical history, what is house, the other LFO, uh, and what he'd learnt from his years in uh, the Leeds LFO. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. I started off by asking him how he got into music. Well, I'm about seven years old, and my dad was a bit of a hi-fi enthusiast. You know, back in the 70s, with all this quad sound, and it was like the forerunner for 3D sound. So he had this pretty cool hi-fi setup with, you know, like massive headphones and this sort of surround, early surround sound kind of thing. And he, he played me when I was seven years old. He played me, and he actually gave me the Pink Floyd Dark Side of the Moon album. Wow. Yeah, and he just blew me away the on the run track, you know, where he's got like he's using like keyboards. Uh, I forgot which keyboard it is now. Is it the VCS? I can't remember. But anyway, so that was like my first introduction into like you know proper music and uh, early synthesizers. And then he had the uh, a couple of years later, I think he had the uh, Jean Michel Jarre Oxygen album, something like that. And then. So I started listening to them, and he were, he was really into reggae, like Bob Marley and, you know, commercial stuff and the police and stuff like that. Then my old brothers were into heavy metal. So at a very early age, at eight and a half, I was buying heavy metal records, like early Mortarhead, ACDC. And so we had the, the whole family had this sort of love of music in different directions. And it just continued, and then when I was about... 12-ish, started listening to John Peel's show. Yeah. And then everybody in the neighbourhood was then getting into early robotics and early breakdancing. So I quickly got into that and totally loved the, the early street sounds, electro stuff. Mm. Uh, so I still listened to heavy metal and that. And then one of my older brothers was, was into like punky stuff like Killing Joke, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. So we, we had quite a big variation in the household what was getting played but music was played on a daily basis yeah so, and so the breakdancing was obviously how you um that was how you got into lfo right totally yeah totally it's basically is i was telling somebody else a few weeks ago oh yeah we did an interview for the guardian newspaper about three months ago it was called bleep it out about the yorkshire scene oh, yeah 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 so basically i was telling that guy that we all got into it from breakdancing. So Nightmares on Wax, you know, like uh, Eitel Rockers, um, Unique Free, us, LFO, we, we all knew each other as teenagers, you know? Mm. So basically, we all sort of grew up around nearby from each other, in a way, you know, like a couple of miles away. So you'd always bump into them in city centre, and we used to go to Bradford a lot. 
And basically, after hip-hop sort of died out a bit, even though we were still into it, uh, the next thing was sort of house music coming in. We all got, you know, started getting on, getting into that. And basically, I started buying, you know, like an early drum machine and stuff, uh, 303 and things like that. And then it just evolved into techno. Then, you know, the early Detroit stuff was coming out and tracks, you know, like Acid, uh, Acid Tracks, Swinger, Future. So it slowly evolved like that. But it's funny because all them West Yorkshire and South Yorkshire guys, we all... We all Started off in hip hop, you know, Forge Masters was Smack Smack Nineteen, uh, Breakdance Crew and stuff, and yeah. It's, it seems pretty remarkable to me that you know yeah. this group of people that knew each other. Um, there was so much, you know, I mean, so many great records came out of that. Um, why? Yeah. Why do you think that was? You know, why? Why do you think you? Yeah, why were there so many records from there? Uh, right, I, well, it was something to do, wasn't it? It was like, you know, we, you went to school and that, and obviously we all, like, rebelled at school and you told that you were a twat, probably were a twat. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of like, what do you do when you leave school? I did, I did um, a B-Tech course in computers. I was interested in that, and I dropped out after a year. <laughs> And then I just went straight into doing music and we had a bit of luck. Met up with Mark Bell, which mm. we sort of knew from breakdancing. And the other guy, DJ Martin, he was a tutor on this course, like a graphics design course in photography. So we all sort of just joined up and it was just like the right place at the right time, do you know what I mean? I asked Jez about how LFO released their first record and got a deal with Warp after they'd started recording. At first, we were just going to fund it ourselves, you know, mm. like, you know, pull all his money into it and do like 500 white labels or something. Um, by chance, we met Rob Gordon, you know, the original yeah. founder of Warp. And he came up to Leeds, he went to Leeds Warehouse Club, and uh, Martin was DJing there at the time. So he was playing like the early demo stuff of LFO, and it was rocking the crowd, you know. So we went out. And I remember getting into a car with him and Steve Beckett to hear one of his demo tapes, because you always carried a demo tape on you. You know what I mean? Yeah. You wouldn't do it today, but we did that. <laughs> so, you know, this have you got if you got a demo on that? I said, Yeah, yeah, no problem. Here's my demo. So we went in the car, we put it on, we had like 30 tracks on it. We just sat there for about an hour and they were going, they were going, fuck me, we've got to sign you guys, you know what I mean? So that's basically how it happened. You know, a bit of luck, a bit of right time, right place, a bit of enthusiasm, you know, because we wanted to do something, get something out. And it all, it all just came together, you know what I mean? We skip forward a few years now uh, to the group's debut album, Frequencies, which is a classic album. Uh, and in particular, a track called What Is House, uh, which opens Frequencies with a list of the group's inspirations. Uh, and I asked Jez, why they had decided to do that it was basically you know like we just sort of thinking of a track and we, we sort of come up with the idea why don't we name the people we were influenced from you know like brian eno you know mm-hmm. you know and we we thought yeah we just we just put it down so we got the microphone and we just sort of jammed some lines and then I added some more words, and I think Mark added a couple of words, and then we, we just redid it, and we just we just did it like in one take, you know what I mean? So, 
but it worked, you know what I mean? So it's great because some guy makes telephone t-shirts. He sent me some you know, a few months ago and it were the What Is House thing on the back, you know, the, the lyrics, which is from the intro track, you know. Yeah. So it was just, it's cool. I'm walking around this t-shirt, t-shirt and I'm looking at where I'm thinking, that's what we wrote, man. And somebody's making a t-shirt fucking 32 years later and people are buying it. It's mental. See, I, one thing that um, I find really interesting about about house music as a whole, in fact, and this, this is a good example, is that there are a lot of songs, right, there are a lot of house songs in which people yeah. are talking about what house music is. Like, um, and you don't seem to get that for other, for other songs. It was just something I noticed the other day, there's a lot of songs that are like, you know, house music is this, house music is that. And yeah. I can't think of, like, many drum and bass songs which are like, how yeah. do <laughs> Any ideas why? Absolutely no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, mate. I mean, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is house music. <laughs> no, them preacher songs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just easy to bang some lyrics to something because you know, it's a bit slower. And, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, like the the LFO track itself, it were like my idea to put LFO or not. In, in on it off the speak and spell machine and the reason was so people would recognise your track yeah. at the time we were going up in Chapertown and Leeds all these illegal parties where, you know, where the black kids would run it with reggae sound systems and that so it would be like half reggae half house odd bit of hip hop and stuff and I thought you know Mark Eitel from Eitel Rockers was doing his own dub players and then kids were going mental so we got us uh, the promo track uh, finished from Walk with the, the LFO track and that was my idea to put LFO in it so the kids knew it was us do you know what I mean very good idea yeah and then it was like my mate works in the record shop and he said you won't believe how many people come in they're, they're humming tunes what they heard on Friday night <laughs> you've got no idea it is but he said with your track they come in and he goes I don't know who's done it but he goes L F O yeah I've got a copy do you want to buy it <laughs> yeah so <laughs> We just did it to show off in a way, like who we are as a crew, do you know what I mean? But then people could relate to it. Did you ever sort of play your records at any of those, like, Chapel Town parties or on the sort of reggae sound systems? Yes, but not the records. We actually used to just do, like, a cassette tape. Martin, the DJ, he used to be playing once, twice a week at these parties, so we'd just go with him because he knew everybody, so you were pretty safe. Yeah. Um, he'd bang out a cassette tape, you know what I mean? Kids used to go mental, man. You know, they loved all that low bass shit, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And you just you just got a total respect from everybody. They're like, oh, white guys doing this kind of music, respect, man. <laughs> yeah. But that's how it worked, you know what I mean? Uh, as I mentioned in the intro, one of the slightly confusing things about LFO for new listeners is that there is also an American boy band of the very same name uh, who appeared on the scene several years after our LFO. Uh, so I asked Jez about that. This is the thing. We we had it one time before when LFO come out. Uh, do you remember Paul Arcastle? Oh, yeah, yeah, he 19. You know. Right? Yeah. We, he did a one-off track on a compilation album a year before we did LFO, called Something LFO. Mm. So when LFO came out in the charts, he brought out he brought out this record, can't remember what it was called, something like Brainstorm. Mm. 
Anyway, Walt got in touch. He said, what are you playing at? And he said, oh, I had the name first, but it doesn't work like that. Who, who makes the name famous? And he's yeah. trying to pass himself off as us. So Walt sent him like a warning, like, if you do it again, we'll take it a court shit, honestly. Yeah. So never heard out else from him. But then there was this boy band, but by that time I'd left, so it's doubt of, you know, Walt and Matt Bell and that, you know what I mean? But yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's funny because even back then there was like early internet, so they would have known there's another LFO, surely. Yeah. Especially they... when we were on Tommy Boy Records in America, so they must have, they must have known. Jez left LFO uh, after their second album, Advance. He moved to Germany in 1999 and continued to make music solo as G-Man. Um, I asked him if Germany was a better place to be a musician than the UK. Totally, but then again, I never lived in London, but for techno and even electronic music, yeah, Germany's a different level, mate, you know what I mean? It were, I lived in Wiesbaden and it's a tiny... Tiny sort of city of two hundred and fifty thousand, and but even there, they had some really cool clubs. And then it were half an hour drive to Frankfurt, which had the Omen, Neuton Records, and all the Forsink. <clears throat> it was just everywhere you went was full of techno, and everybody were into techno. Do you know what I mean? And it were ace, and then you could go to Hamburg, that was cool. Cologne, Berlin were cool. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's uh, totally different level. You know what I mean? For, for electronic and techno, I'd say. And you set up GM, GMR Records in 2007. Yeah. Um, what was the thinking there? Uh, I just wanted to have a, do me on label. So did two vinyls in 99 and yeah, 2000. They both did really well. They did like 2,000 copies each. Mm. Uh, but then the distributor annoyed some. Were, they were a bit slow at paying. So it, were, it slowed down your production thing. So I signed to Four Sync. Mm. Got some other releases out with them lot. Uh, then a few years later, Neuton went bust. Um, quite a few things went bust in Germany. Efer, that were a big distributor, they went bust. They had forced ink a lot of money. Uh, luckily, I got paid, but a lot of other artists didn't. I knew a few a few lads who had like ten grand on that. They didn't get money from Neuton and things like that. Well, pretty bad time. Two thousand three, two thousand four. It was. Um, but yeah, but I'm, I'm just doing my own stuff now on Bandcamp. It's so much better because, you know, it's you get your money directly. You know what I mean? You can do what you want. You're on merchandise and stuff. And <clears throat> yeah, it's some big advantages with Bandcamp for me personally. You know what I mean? And how, how do you feel about sort of making music in, in 2023 in the music industry? Yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 it's gone bananas, mate. It's, you know, occasionally I DJ and stuff, and I get about 200 promos sent every week. <laughs> I mean, they're just people you never heard of, they've got no idea, and they, I'll be honest with you, it's 90% terrible. Yeah. So it's like overkill now. I mean, music business has always been hard. It's been a competitive game from day one, but... I don't know. Like now, it's just mental. I'm, I'll put, I'm gonna play somewhere soon. I was just looking at lineup, and I never heard any other DJs and stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's like, who are these people? Do you know what I mean? Who yeah. the fuck are they? <laughs> how, how do you feel about playing um, with someone like 
alternate. I, lo- I love alternating to that. I spoke to Mark Archer recently. Um, yeah. Uh, like, do you, do you feel sort of a connection with them? Totally, man. I've, I've known Mark Archer for two years, so he's a very good friend. Uh, we just played this festival. You're playing later, but he's playing more commercially edged, you know, rave sort of stuff. But he's good at what he does. Yeah. It's always great to have a catch up with him, you know, because uh, we've been all over places together, you know, like toured England. I've met up with him in Brazil, a couple of gigs. Um, just now, this Lindisfarne festival. So, total respect for him. He's done some good stuff as well as Nexus 21 and that, you know, I mean, yeah. some killer tracks. Because yeah. you still play pretty hard techno, right? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I did that Linda's Farm Festival and everyone's playing rave and I'm thinking, oh shit, what am I not playing because I'm playing really underground stuff? But it worked because uh, I think the crowd needed a break. Yeah. And I was just pulling out some colour grooves and that and one or two old tracks like uh, Rich Yorting and um, I don't know, like Chicago track stuff and Steve Point Dexter and jamming them in with up-to-date techno and it, it actually really worked, you know what I mean? LFO had a lot of success in their lifetime, but Jez says that if things had gone differently, they could have been like Daft Punk. I asked him why. I don't think it's that different. Like, you know, if you had, if things had gone differently, I don't see why you couldn't have occupied that kind of, yeah. that kind of position, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you, because one of, you know, you had, it was underground, but you had hooks, you know? Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the thing, wasn't it? There were normally, you know, the element of underground and some nice chords on it, or, you know, like with LFO, the hit with the L, O, so people could relate to it. You know what I mean? It's. Yeah. Yeah. But it's funny, we, we toured with Daft Punk before they were famous in France. We did about five gigs with them there. Yeah? Oh, nice. Really nice lads. Really nice lads. And then one time I was coming back from a G Man gig, I was coming through Leeds train station. And they had two people arguing in French. I turned around, they looked at me and said, Cheers! <laughs> they were Daft Punk. So they were going to play at the Orbit in Leeds and they had no uh, English money because, you know, they had the French money at that back in 1995. So I, I actually lent them a tenner to get to the gig. <laughs> they did give me it back. <laughs> but now, now they're worth 63 bloody million or something, you know what I mean? And finally, to end the interview, I asked Jez what he had learnt from his time in LFO. <laughs> uh, that's a good. That's a good question. What did I actually learn? Um, that you concept. can actually make you can make a career out of music and stuff. Um, never trust a record label. <laughs> <laughs> never trust a, a manager, a band manager. No, we never had one actually, but. There's some things you learn, like if you're going to do a gig, get get half of money up front and stuff, because a lot of people try to screw your business, mate. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. So little things like that. But you know, in general, just so you know, you could could do it for a living and that. You know, enjoy it, have some fun. Yeah, yeah. And last thing, what what's what's next for you? What are your plans? Uh, I've just done a limited CD release of an album, G-Man album on Bandcamp. Mm-hmm. I just did 50 copies, and I basically sold like 30 in half an hour. I had no. to take the thing off the website because I, 
I'm just like overwhelmed with orders. And so anyway, that goes back up to my last 20 of them. Mm-hmm. So I'm told them like I'm just working on a new album, which is almost done. I'm gonna again press up 50 CDs because a lot a lot of people want physical stuff. They don't they don't really want just the digital download. Do you know what I mean? Which I get because uh, you know, like I said, I get like 200 promos a week, and I only download a few, and, and it's they're just to DJ with. They're like disposable techno. But if you do a proper album, and you know, give them some that the can keep. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because do you find that yourself that a lot of the things being lost, like you remember the first time you got a, a vinyl LP, you'd look at the cover while you listen to the music and the joy of that. Do you know what I mean? That's kind of got lost, hasn't it? Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra.